Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. guys, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. And thank you for joining us and welcome back to the Dead Parent Club podcast. Now each week we're going to be talking about what it's like to be members of the Dead Parent Club, chatting to brilliant guests about their grieving stories and just trying to help you where we can really. We'll also be hearing from people far more qualified than us, like counsellors, solicitors, medical professionals and mindfulness coaches, all on the topic of grief and looking after yourself. So strap yourselves in and welcome on board to the Dead Parent Club. Now, this is an episode that I've been wanting to record for a while. So this week we are joined by another special guest, Helen Jade Smith from the online community Lockdown Grief. Helen sadly lost her dad to COVID this year and has created her own community to share her grief and help others. In this week's episode, we'll be hearing Helen's story, what it's been like to be grieving in lockdown and how she feels about the future as the world starts opening up to what everybody keeps calling normal. Helen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I've been I'm looking forward to this, you know. I've I've been talking about getting you on the podcast for actually a while because <laughs> I just think that it's so important that we open the conversation because well, COVID loss is such a specific loss. Yeah. And grieving in the past year and then kind of approaching this like, I mean, some restrictions were lifted today, right? So yeah. it's kind of starting this path to what everybody's been like, oh no, life's going back to normal. And I'm just, I'm kind of looking forward to kind of delving deep <laughs> into yeah. what this means for you and other people that have lost people during um, lockdown. Yeah, definitely. So I guess, Helen, we're going to have to start if it's all right with you, just with you sharing your story, because you were a victim of loss very early on in COVID, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was. So I lost my dad, Ian, uh, actually on the peak of the first wave on the 12th of April last year. Uh, He first started feeling ill on the 10th of March, which I remember because it was actually my mum's birthday and we'd been out for dinner. um, And that coincided with the last time that I saw him. And he started feeling ill that day. And the next day, he still didn't feel too great. And obviously, we were starting to hear by then about COVID. But, you know, at that point it still wasn't something I think that people were really, you know, we had no idea that it was going to become what it did. And, you know, lockdown wasn't in place then. So people were just still carrying on as normal. So as much as he felt ill, we did have that niggling thought, you know, could it could be, could it be COVID? You never thought in a million years that it would be. Uh, and it wasn't like him to feel unwell or feel sorry for himself. You know, I guess he was the stereotypical man in terms of he just got on with it. But the fact that he actually felt poorly enough to stay in bed the next day 
And then the day after that, and that's when my mum actually started getting a bit concerned. So she actually called the GP. Uh, Dad managed to get an appointment in person. And yeah, he went to see them. They ruled out COVID. He had a clear chest um, and they just put it down to a bad infection of some sort. So they just told him, you know, go home, rest, stay hydrated, take Dioralite. And that was that really. But bless him. Yeah, he didn't he didn't get better. He stayed in bed for two weeks. My mum, uh, it was just them two that live alone together. So my mum was looking after him. And by this point, she was getting slightly wary, obviously being around him that, you know, maybe she should be taking some precautions too. But at that point, dad didn't have a cough, you know, all the symptoms that we were getting told to look out for, other than a fever that was coming and going, dad didn't have. And so mum actually called the GP again after a week. And by then everything was getting done more virtually. So this was over the phone. Um, and again, they just said, keep him hydrated, you know, leave him on bed rest. And he still didn't improve. And it was a week after that. It was on the 23rd um, before we'd gone into lockdown. And mum had called 111, the non-emergency number, just to say again, you know, he's been ill now for two weeks, he's not improving. And I think by this point, he was starting to really show signs of breathlessness, which he hadn't been showing before. And he was really, really weak by that point. You know, he was struggling to even go to the bathroom by himself. So at this point, they advised my mum, look, call 999, which she did. Um, and the ambulance turned up, they tested his oxygen levels. And apparently when they arrived by then, they already deemed critically low. So, yeah, they, they whisked him off in an ambulance. Bless my mum. That was the last time that she saw him conscious. She obviously had no idea that would be the case. Uh, she wasn't allowed to go in the ambulance with him. She didn't even kiss him goodbye. It was just kind of a way from the doorstep. Um, and I was actually at work that day. Obviously, by then, talk about COVID was getting more and more common. And, you know, we were getting advised by then to stay at home. So I'd kind of gone into the office to close things down and prepare for working from home. And I got a call from my mum to say, look, dad's been taken to hospital. Try not to worry. Uh, he's responded to oxygen and well. But, you know, that that's all we knew at that point. So to be honest, I think looking back on it now, I really was naive. I just thought, yeah, he'll be fine. You know, he's, he's responded to oxygen. He'll be home soon, not to worry. And then I was in my flat that evening and I got another call from my mum. And by this point, lockdown had just been announced. I think it was about eight o'clock by the time I got the call from my mum. And she'd gotten a call from the hospital to say that dad had been intubated already, had deteriorated that much. Um, and they mentioned that he had a heart attack, perhaps while he was actually getting intubated, the stress of that caused him to have a heart attack. And he was in an induced coma. So yeah, it just flipped 180 in a matter of hours. And obviously, we were then in lockdown. And it was just so surreal. I just remember freaking out, calling my partner like, Oh, my God, dad's in a coma, he's on a ventilator, what the hell, just couldn't make sense of it. Um, and perhaps worse, the, the first thing that I would normally do and most people would do is go home to be with my mum. But I couldn't because by then the lockdown rules are in place. So I knew that I had to self-isolate. Obviously, we, we didn't know it was COVID by that point, but we were taking all the precautions as if it were. Mum had obviously been around dad too. So we didn't want to, we didn't know if she had maybe caught it or she'd been at risk. So yeah, I was then at home 
not working um, in my flat for a week with my partner isolating, just waiting to get home to my mum, really. And that's all I could do. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what an unbelievably stressful situation. Like, uh, did you get did you get tested again during that week? So he did get tested. But the funny thing was, we actually had to ask if he ha- if it was COVID because when they took him in, they did say that they think it was some sort of strain of viral pneumonia, but they never actually said it was COVID. Um, and by then, the only the only way we could contact the hospital and speak to them was to call them. So my mum was doing the calls at that point. Um, she was obviously finding it quite hard to have to deal with those conversations. So then my brother and I took over the phone calls. And I think it wasn't till about it was at least three or four days later that my brother called them and said, have you tested for COVID? And it was only then that they said, yes, and it's positive. So we had thought it was COVID, but they didn't actually openly tell us that until a few days after he was in the hospital. And obviously, Helen, it was really early days. We didn't know a lot about it then. But when you cast your mind back to that time, because in normal circumstances, you'd go and visit a loved one, you'd go and be with them in hospital. How do you feel how do you even begin to cope with that day by day as that went on? And how long did it go on for? I look back now and even now to this point, it's nearing a year later. And the word that I keep on using to describe it all is surreal. It is just so, so surreal. As you said, like if anybody you know that you love was in hospital, you'd be there by their side every single day. And we couldn't be there. And you just feel so incredibly helpless because you've got nothing to do. And even in terms of distracting yourself, you can't do that either because we were, we were in lockdown. And so, it yeah, it was, to be honest, I don't actually know how I got through. I know I had my partner with me here. He was self-isolating with me. He'd been kind enough to get some time off work as well to be with me. And I was just sitting here in my one bed flat in London, just going a bit stir crazy. To be honest, all you can do is watch the clock. You know, I wasn't sleeping too well. And the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is call my mum to see if she'd spoken to the doctors. And then you're watching the clock until the evening when you could call again and get another update. And that had carried on for a week. And then after a week, because I'd self-isolated, I went back home to be with my mum. And at the time, I'd only packed for a couple of weeks because obviously I had no idea how long I'd be there for. And it's the first time I've actually remembered it now, speaking out loud. But I remember when I was packing to go back with my mum and I thought to myself, should I take something in case I have to go to a funeral? And I told myself off thinking, no, don't think like that. That's absolutely not going to happen. Dad's going to be fine. So I didn't. I went home to be with mum, which was great because obviously we'd been so worried about her because she just seen her husband get whisked off in an ambulance and then being left alone at home to fend for herself with nobody able to come and see her or help her so I went back to my mum's a week later and it's only been this past month because I'm moving house that I've come back because obviously we've stayed in lockdown ever since and for me I just wanted to be with my mum whilst I could I've been furloughed from work so I've not been working so yeah, it's it's been really, really surreal. Um, and looking back, I it feels like it's been so much time, but at the same time, no time at all. Yeah. Because I kind of try and think, what have I been doing? You know, like <laughs> what what have I been doing? I couldn't do a lot. You know, I couldn't see friends, I couldn't see family, but somehow I'm here still, nearly a year later. And as you said, the world's starting to reopen now. But 
dad's still not here and I've still not seen many friends and family. So it's, it's just a strange concept for me. What was it like for you as your dad was kind of obviously deteriorating and you couldn't be there? Yeah. Obviously, there was a lot of talk when we first went into lockdown of people being like, oh, it's not even that serious. And yeah, it was all kind of very blasé, for, especially on social media. I think, you know, a lot of us saw a huge amount of it. Yeah. What was that like for you, knowing that your dad was obviously very unwell with it at that time? Like, I, I would find it really hard to not bite my tongue. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I do, <laughs> all the time. To be honest, I just felt really, really helpless. And I know with social media at the time, people's focus, I think in the start, they actually were taking it a bit more seriously because obviously this is the first time in our lifetime that there's ever been anything like this. So I think some people were you know, thinking, well, we're in lockdown, so it must be bad. But I just, I think I kind of switched off thinking from the beginning. And my focus was looking after my mum. My focus was on, you know, just praying that my dad could get better and just trying to take each day by day. Um, social media, I do, and still to this day, just have to ignore it because if I didn't, I think I'd get into a very dark hole where the anger would overcome me and I wouldn't be able to bite my tongue. And for me now, that is just a waste of energy because unfortunately, you're not going to change people like that. And there are always going to be people like that. And for me, it's just, you know, I, I unfortunately, I would love for that not to be the case. But there are people out there who still think that it's not real and, you know, who make jokes about it and try and encourage you to not get the vaccine and stuff. And for me, I just can't engage with that because I know the reality. I know the truth. And if you're lucky enough to not have to know it, then, you know, good for you. But I do. And so, yeah, that's all I can do. I just try to take it on the chin, per se, and just ignore it and focus on myself and my family. And that reality, Helen, meant that in your dad's... I mean, there's no way of dressing this up, but in your dad's dying moments, you weren't able to offer him the support he not only deserved, but that you wanted to give him. I know I lost my nana during lockdown, not to COVID, but I lost her and it was under the same restrictions. And I felt like you, a lot of helplessness and upon reflection, I don't know how you feel, but anger that that the person who was there for your entire life, who you know would have been there to hold your yeah. hand if you were in that situation, you worry that maybe they didn't understand the situation yeah. and thought you didn't want to be there. Do you feel any of that? A hundred percent. Yeah, I really, really do. And it's something that my I know my mum gets really upset about because you know, we've spoken about it. And I think the fact for me and my dad was that dad went into hospital the day that lockdown was announced, but he was already in a coma by the time it was announced. So as much as we'd been hearing about COVID up until then, he was alive in a world where there was still no social distancing, no lockdown, no masks, none of that. And it is a hard thought to think, you know, he went to hospital by himself, a few hours later was in a coma and that was it. You know, he, I don't know, and I don't think we'll obviously ever know what his thought process was, if there was one, if there was any sort of awareness at all, if he could hear and, you know, maybe not understand why he wasn't hearing voices that he recognised. You know, it's a horrible, horrible thought to think that perhaps my dad might have felt abandoned and not know, you know, why his family weren't there to be with him. And all that I can say just to try and bring myself some comfort in that is that I don't think he would have been aware. And that's what I have to hold on to. And that he knew us and he knew how much we loved him. 
and that even if he did wonder where people were, that he would know that it wasn't because we didn't want to be there, that we didn't love him, that we just couldn't. But it, it is difficult because, like you said, you would be there every single day and the only time we were there was when they switched the ventilator off and it was horrific. But I, sh- I feel like for anybody that listens to this, obviously a lot of the people that listen to this have lost a parent. Yeah. And I feel like he- hearing that and knowing we will know the extent of how painful that yeah. is. And I think having to have gone through that and having those, you have to live with those thoughts you know, and it's yeah. it's so it is so hard. I think even in the best hyphenated of circumstances, but wow, like I think because this is this is the first time that I've had a conversation with somebody who has lost somebody to COVID. Yeah, and I think this is why these conversations are so important because I think to understand the enormity of these experiences and what's happened. Yeah. because I can just it must must have been and must continue to be so hard for you to yeah and it is and I think that's as well I just keep saying it it's just so surreal like I'd never suffered a close loss before but I guess to a degree you always have these expectations of what it would be like based on you know what you hear or people you know who have suffered loss and just the support that would come with that and that's the unique thing about COVID loss you don't have any of that you don't get to see family, you don't get to see friends, you don't get to have a proper funeral, you don't even get to be with your loved one when they're dying. Everything that you'd imagine it to be like, it it isn't, it's the total opposite. And I think that's what is so difficult for so many COVID bereaved, because even in terms of support networks and resources out there, none of it is applicable to COVID because, you know, it was all so unpredictable and it is really so unique. And so I think that's what left so many people, myself included, just feeling so isolated in it all because there is no one else out there who understands because actually I was one of the first people to suffer a loss like that ever. So, and I just remember desperately, desperately, I used to scroll on Facebook just searching words like COVID and ventilator and all this kind of stuff, just desperate to try and find anybody else out there who'd been through what I had or who was going through what I had. Um, And I remember I found a story of a lady in America and her husband was on a ventilator in America and all her posts were public. So every day he was almost like two weeks ahead of dad where he was, but I was following his progress every day because that was the only likeness I could find to what my dad was going through. Um, But obviously in America, things are slightly different. He got different treatment. He actually survived and it's amazing. And I'm so, so happy for them. But obviously I guess maybe that put an expectation in my head that, you know, dad's going to make it. And unfortunately he didn't. And other than that, I just couldn't find anybody else who was going through it at all the support networks that there are now didn't exist back when I lost dad Um, and that's actually the reason why I started my Instagram page initially because I was so desperate to connect to somebody who understood what I was going through that I was like okay if I can't find someone who knows what it's like I'll start something and maybe they'll find me instead Um, And I have, there's been so, so many people who are COVID bereaved that I've connected with through it. And I hate it because I wouldn't want anybody else to be going through what I'm going through. But to know that me sharing my journey is helping other people, which is something that I desperately so wanted to have at the start, 
um, it's, it's, it's a silver lining to it all. It's still just a surreal situation that I'm just taking day by day, to be honest. I want to talk more about the platform that you've created to help other people in a bit. But just from a, a closure point of view, like you say, a lot of the advice you'd be offered if you were suffering a bereavement would be spend time with loved ones to talk. And one of those things that gives us a bit of closure is a funeral. Yeah. And I know from helping to organise Nana's funeral and having the WhatsApp group of going, right, who were our X amount of people that I think it was like 15 at this point that are allowed there and going through it. Yeah. That there was very much a feeling that she was deprived of the send-off that a character who touched so many people deserved. Can you just explain the logistics of how you organised your dad's funeral? Mm -hmm. Because it was very early on in COVID and and how it made you feel. Yeah, sure. So um, I did actually plan my dad's funeral uh, near enough by myself because I've got one brother and he's much more financial-minded, business-minded. So naturally, where we were both trying to support my mum, I went to the creative planning side. My brother went to the looking after the finances and the legal side. Um, but back then, everything was just done virtually. And I think that's a thing that makes it hard to, you know, feel real because you hear of people where when they die, you're going to the funeral home and you're actually speaking to people in, in person. And it, it makes what should be something that's very, very personal and very special, quite impersonal. Um, we were fortunate in the fact that my dad owned a canal boat. He loved canal boating and him and my mum used to spend <laughs> spend months of the year. They were both retired, just traveling up and down the waterways of the UK. Um, and on one of these trips, they'd had some sort of canal boat festival and my dad had invited a gentleman and his family onto his boat. And this guy happened to be a funeral director. So when it came to planning dad's funeral, we thought, well, he'd be the perfect guy because he's actually met dad. And so he knows him. He's got that little bit more of a personal connection. So that was that made it better because, you know, he knew dad and it wasn't trying to explain someone to him that was effectively a stranger, you know. Um, and for lack of a better word, he wanted to give dad the VIP treatment in his send off. But obviously there were so many restrictions in place. So, yeah, it, it was just done all virtually um, over the phone on websites, on Zoom, I just remember scrolling through the websites, trying to pick flowers and a coffin and stuff like that. And then just speaking on the phone um, to the lady who was organising the funeral. And she was lovely. And, you know, I think we made it the best that it could have been with the restrictions that were imposed on us. We could have 10 people at the funeral. And as you said, Emma, it was just horrible to have to be making a guest list for someone's funeral when you know that if that wasn't a thing, there'd be hundreds of people there. But you have to be quite brutal. You're literally like, well, you know, dad's got this many kids and this is his best friend, but, you know, you, you can't have them and maybe you can't have partners, so their partner can't come. And it's just a horrible thing because it's not, it's not a, a you know, an exclusive party. It's my dad's funeral, you know, but... Again, you, I just had to take it all in my stride. There was no point at that point for me getting too angry about it because there was nothing I could do. And I understood, obviously, why those restrictions are in play. As time went on and I saw restrictions getting eased and, you know, numbers could go up and a few things were possible that weren't for my dad, I did get that feeling of, oh, that sucks a bit, you know, because we couldn't even... Everyone panicked, I think, yeah. didn't they? Like it was... 
uber, uber, like, just constricted. Yeah. Then I think if they'd done it again with hindsight, it wouldn't have been yeah, 100%. as bad as it was for you. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing. And I think because of that panic, it was just, no, you can't do anything. We couldn't even have funeral cars. We had to drive our own cars and we weren't allowed to touch the coffin. And it's like, you, you shouldn't have to get told that at a parent's funeral that you can't even mm. touch their coffin. You know, we couldn't be pallbearers or anything. It is is quite inhumane really and I mean bless my dad he he wasn't even allowed to be dressed in clothes he was naked in the coffin because I can't believe that COVID I guess at that point they just didn't know enough about it so it was just any possible risk they just weren't having um but we, we did the best that we could and I invited people that obviously couldn't attend to we we stopped his hearse at his boat club en route to the crematorium so all his friends that could came and socially distanced outside the boat club oh, my that. dad always wore red blue or white or any combination of the three and check shirts so we said we don't want you in black wear red blue and white stripes checks anything so they all turned up in those colors um there's a national trust boat that turned up and tooted its horn he had a police escort for for his hearse came out so you know what, it it wasn't, of course, what it we would have wanted it to be, but it was the best that it could have been. And that, for me, is enough because I know that we did our best for him. And the weather was beautiful. It was blue skies. It was sunshine. And so, yeah, that that it, it made it better in difficult circumstances, for sure. But are you, I've heard people doing this, are you kind of planning a kind of celebration of life or something with your fam- with your family when things are allowed, like a kind of postponed, yeah. postponed funeral Absolutely, situation. like that was our first thought with it because obviously with these funerals you can't even have a wake afterwards. We had a service and that was restricted in time too. It had to be 20 minutes, no longer. And then we just went home. Um So our first thing was like, yeah, we're going to have a huge party for my dad when we can. Uh, Obviously, back then we were like, well, maybe it'll be nice to do it on the anniversary of his death. But obviously that's in a couple of weeks now and that's still not going to be feasible, which you'd never think possible. But it will happen when we can do it for sure. It's it's mad though, isn't it, how you hear some people are planning nights out and, you know, all these big things and you're actually looking forward to finally having like a postponed funeral and celebration of life with your family like those kind of yeah huge polar opposites when you've lost somebody in in COVID isn't it like I think that just really brings that to light so much exactly and I mean that's the thing it is difficult when you see people just so excited and celebrating oh yeah we can go to the pub with our mates and I get that I do like they've been locked down for a year as well and not seen family and friends Mm -hmm. But as you said, when my priority is just giving my dad the funeral and party that he deserved, that he's still not yet been able to have, mm. it does make you think, oh, you know, if you could actually know what the flip side of that is, then yeah, it is it's a bit tough sometimes. But yeah. <laughs> I, I get I get I get yeah. it, you know, it's all relative, is what I just keep telling 100%, myself. And 100%. I, I might be in the same if I haven't lost dad. So mm. yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Helen, how do you feel about coming out of lockdown? It's a mixture. I definitely feel anxious because I think it's a thing when it's COVID that's killed someone you love and it's this invisible virus that is literally anywhere outdoors. You do have that anxiety that, you know, it's not disappeared yet. It's still out there. People are still getting ill. And so it's definitely still a risk. So I do have that anxiety with it for sure. I've obviously got the natural excitement where I can, you know, finally see friends that I've not seen. I've had a new niece that was born during lockdown oh, that I've not congrats. yet met. So, congratulations. Thank you. So, yeah, I just want to meet her and give her a cuddle because she's growing up so quickly already. And obviously I've got those excitements too. But I just, I think the issue for me is, is that people seem to forget that with lockdown easing, there are still rules in place in terms of social distancing and just taking due care, really, when you're out and about. And I don't feel that that goes hand in hand. I think what I see anyway is that people are just like, freedom, yeah, let's go out and party and get drunk. And they don't forget that actually, yes, you can go out and drink, but you still need to be careful and you still should be keeping your distance and you shouldn't be hugging your friends yet. And that's what makes me anxious because I don't think that people are remembering that side of it and that there is still the possibility that you could either catch the virus yourself or pass it on to someone else. So for me personally, I'm just going to take it very slowly and only do what I'm comfortable with. I'm not going to feel any pressure to, you know, go out and do something with loads of people that is just going to make me feel a bit on edge and I'm really fortunate that I've got people around me who understand that and appreciate that because I will be the first one to say yeah I'd just rather stay inside you know that I don't feel comfortable with that I do love a glass of wine I do miss the pub gardens but you know for me it's just not quite time yet so I just hope that people do still maintain an element of that carefulness say where they just don't completely forget that COVID exists because it does still. Yeah, definitely. How has the kind of past 12 months been for you then? And I think obviously a big part of this conversation will obviously be lockdown grief in your Instagram account, which is obviously stemmed out of feelings of not having that kind of support during such a difficult time. So like, what have you done to kind of help you process just this huge loss and huge tragedy during a time when you can't lean on yeah. close friends and family and stuff for support well first and foremost I've been furloughed from work for most of the year which as we were discussing earlier is something that you'd never imagine there'd never be a time that I'd be like oh I've got a year off work obviously for me <laughs> it's not a great thing because I'm not out there celebrating I'm not out there having fun no one is really but you know what I mean I'm, I'm grieving 
this time off work is a massive silver lining um, because I think now I'm like, if I lost dad in normal circumstances and then I had to go back to work in a week or two weeks or whatever, whatever the, the leave would be, you know, I don't think that I would have been ready to add on to that the way that I did lose dad and the trauma that's gone with that furlough has been an absolute blessing in disguise because it's almost forced me to sit with my feelings and to sit with my grief and just be and I don't think that I would have maybe done that as well had the world been open you know I would have been distracting myself a bit more naturally and I did go back to work for a month when things reopened and it was a great distraction but I was very aware that I was still thinking of dad constantly and I was really, really tired. I was exhausted after like half a day's work. Yeah. And it did put it into perspective for me that actually, no, I'm not quite ready yet to fully be back in the swing of things. So the past year has been a blessing in that regard that I have literally just had time off to do nothing but grieve, essentially. Um, and I moved back with my mum because my my partner's a policeman, so he's still out working. So I actually just came back to live with my mum to keep her company too. That again is another silver lining because I don't I don't live with my mum anymore. So it was nice to be able to have that time for us to, and you know, to be there to support her as well. But other than that, I've become an avid walker. <laughs> I think as a lot of people might Love. have done in lockdown. You and the rest of the UK. Exactly. <laughs> like, what can I do today? Oh, it's not raining. Let's go on a walk. Oh, it's raining. Let's stay and watch Netflix. That's essentially what yeah. it has been. But I mean, I know it sounds so cliche to say, but you do really start appreciating England and UK and the countryside that we have that I've been to places that where I've lived for 20 years. I never knew they were there before because I just never went so but it it's been really really good for me just to be able to get out and that's been a head clear you know getting out in the fresh air and just going on a walk um and yeah and my lockdown grief page as well which I started has I actually think that's been my own sort of therapy I never knew that it would become what it has and I didn't expect it to help me in the way that it has but honestly that's kind of like my online therapy and I think that really has helped me get through the past year as well because it's just given me a chance to vent and to share and to talk to people that would listen I guess. And Helen for anyone listening wondering what lockdown grief is can you just explain to them not only what it is but how it felt putting your story out there and what the response has been like did it I know this might sound weird but did you have a, a sudden wave of responses in peak Covid and then did it pull back and then more yeah how has it been the last year? So yeah I set the account up I think it was around a month after dad's funeral. And I think this was the point where, you know, things had settled and I found myself back at home in isolation. Dad wasn't there. We weren't able to see anyone. And as I mentioned before, I just felt really, really isolated with it all. And I couldn't find anybody out there at all to, to relate to who'd been through it. And I was specifically looking for people who were bereaved by COVID because of the unique circumstances around it. And I couldn't find anyone. So I was, I didn't really think too much about, I guess, what I wanted it to be when I started it. But I started this Instagram page, Lockdown Grief. And for me at the time, it was just a way to vent and to get things off my chest. Um, I'd started writing a bit of poetry. I'd written a poem for my dad's eulogy at his funeral. And I'd written my mum a poem. And it was just something that I found that when I wanted to talk, it was an easier way for me to express myself. 
And then I became very aware that I was just posting poems about my dead dad on Facebook all the time. And I was just like, okay, I maybe need to find somewhere a bit more, you know, unique and specific to share this. So started my Instagram page. And yeah, I I definitely, definitely, definitely have been overwhelmed by the responses that I've gotten from people. And it was something that I never necessarily set out for it to be. It was just me sharing my journey in a way that was therapeutic for me because I'm, I guess I'm a talker and I'm a sharer and that's how I help myself. But I realised then that other people were getting comfort from me doing that. And, you know, not everybody does grieve in the same way. And for a lot of people, it's their worst nightmare to have to talk about their grief and their loss. But in that sense, to then see somebody else who is talking about it that they can relate to, they have found it really, really comforting. And I wouldn't say that there was necessarily an influx of people during the peak. It's been a gradual jib and drab. And it's not just people who are COVID bereaved who follow my page because I talk a lot just about grief in general. And I think a lot of it is is really relatable to um, other people. But COVID loss, I think, yeah, talking about that is more specific. And that definitely has brought people who are COVID bereaved to my page because they are looking for that person who understands it and who actually gets you know the unique uniqueness around it I guess um so yeah like it's been an absolute blessing in disguise I'm so so grateful for the grief community that's out there it is just you know judgment free and people are just so kind and so understanding and it's kind of the ideal audience that you want as a griever I think you don't want to be necessarily I guess talking to people day day out that don't understand it that are just you know nodding and smiling to be good friends but when you're talking to people who do understand it you know it is you're part of the dead parent club and you're part of the grief club and it's not a club that any of us want to be a part of, as you girls say, but, you know, it's the best club to be in when you are grieving, because at least then you're surrounded by a support network of people who do understand exactly how you're feeling and when other people aren't, I guess. So, yeah, it, it's been it's been another silver lining, as I keep saying to mm. to all of this. I really do think it's amazing that you have created a space for people if they're looking for it they're going to find it like kind of like you know it is what it says in the tin it's lockdown grief and I think you will know straight away like if yeah if that's going to resonate with you and I think what you've done like I know you've probably heard it so much but you should be so proud of yourself for oh, thank you obviously putting your emotions out there because it's, it's not an easy story to tell and I think the more often you say it you kind of it's quite easy to lean into that idea of like it becomes a bit of a script telling your story doesn't it because you've said it so many times yeah but I think having that platform where you can really delve into like the nitty-gritties of it and what it's really like to lose a parent's COVID or a family member's COVID yeah I think yeah you'll definitely be helping so many people during the past year and god knows that you know everyone must have needed it so yeah and like amazing yeah no I hope so I hope so like like I said, it's it's it was initially a way for me to help myself through it all, but the fact that it is helping other people is just yeah, a blessing in disguise and something that I'm glad I'm in a position to do. Helen, you said that you'd lived with your mum for a while and you've just moved back into your flat now. Mm-hmm. How's your mum? How's your mum coping? Uh 
she puts on a brave face, but she's not doing well, I'd say. And, you know, they they were the epitome of a happy marriage. They've been together for over 40 years. They were both retired. They used to travel the world together. And boom, suddenly like that, she's just lost her person, you know. And I think that's actually what's been one of the harder things this past year is the helplessness and able to make her feel better because you can't that there is nothing you can do you can support her in terms of making sure she eats and trying to make sure that you know she gets a better night's sleep and stuff but there is nothing I can do to take away her pain and that is something that I do struggle with because nobody wants to see anybody they love struggling and if you do you want to fix it you know but you can't so I am actually moving back to where my mum lives in Surrey so that's why I came back to London to start packing up because yeah we bought a house round the corner from where my mum is and I think that in itself will just bring me a lot of comfort as well as her because my brother's two hours away I'm an hour and a half away right now and just knowing that instead she's 10 minutes round the corner we'll have our own space still but I can just go and see her quite easily which will make things easier for sure but yeah it it's tough you know but all you can do and all I keep saying to her is you just have to remember that it is just such a unique circumstance to have to lose someone in and she beats herself up a lot she's hard on herself you know I shouldn't be still upset and I shouldn't, I should be doing better for myself, you know, and she just- Tell her she's be- wrong. Tell her she can I be know, herself for as I long know. as she wants to be. <laughs> I do, I say, and I think it's just, maybe it's a generational thing with that bit more of an old school mentality where, again, she maybe had her expectations of grief and this wasn't it at all, you know. Um, she's still not being able to hug her sister after a year, you know. It's just not normal. And that's what I keep reminding her that she has done so incredibly well and that nearing year, she's still here, she's still surviving, she's still getting up in the morning, and it will get easier, you know, as much as lockdown easing will bring anxiety, it will also bring a bit more support in a physical form in terms of being able to see her friends, it will bring a bit more distraction, which I think will help, but yeah, I just, all you can really do is just be there as much as you can for them, but also it's really important to make sure that you don't make that your everything and that you give yourself time to grieve too. Because I did find that a, a few months in last year that I suddenly became aware that I'd been pushing my grief aside to support mum. And then it did kind of, you know, build up and I just crumbled at the end of it and took a bit of time for myself. So that is really important too. But we're all in this boat together and we're just, you know, riding the waves together, holding each other's hands, desperately clinging on and just... Hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty much that's what it is, yeah. Just taking it as yeah. it comes. And you kind of touched on a bit of advice there, Helen, that coming out of lockdown in some respects will help a natural grieving process, things that we're used to. What advice would you give to anybody listening to this now who's experienced a similar situation to yours? I would say, and this is something I've kind of said to anybody else who's asked me all the way along, is just to keep taking things in manageable bite-sized chunks, one tiny, tiny step at a time, because we're not living in a normal world right now. And we have been locked down within four walls, grieving for this past year, and that's not normal. And I think with lockdown easing, 
naturally people who haven't even suffered a loss during this time are going to be feeling anxious I think in some ways but add grief on top of that and you know a traumatic loss on top of that it can be overwhelming so I just say try to not think too much into the future because I think this past year has shown us that that is just so unpredictable right now um, and just not to put any pressure on yourself uh, some advice that I actually got from a friend who'd lost his father a few years back but that stuck with me was just do what you need to do to get by in each moment. If that's to scream into a pillow, do that. If it's to go out on a run, do that. If it's to sit in bed and cry, do that. Just let yourself feel, let yourself be. Don't pressure yourself. Take everything one step at a time. And I think with the easing of lockdown, stick to your guns and do what you feel comfortable with. Don't let people pressure you into something that you don't want to do or that you don't feel comfortable with. And Helen, one of the first episodes I did with Kat, she asked me to humanise my mum, talk about my mum, give a name and what she was like. And I think that was a lovely moment for me when Kat asked me to do that. And I want you to share a bit about your dad with us. Can you give us his name and just share a bit about your memories and your dad's personality? Because I feel as though we know him slightly from what you said, but I'd love to know a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this bit might, this might be the bit that makes me cry because it does sound so stereotypical, but I adored my dad. He was brilliant. So his name was Ian. He was 73. He was a retired business owner. He had a canal boat, which he loved, <laughs> and he used to cruise the waterways with his big old canal boat hat, as I call it, this big round thing. I love it. He had the most cheeky smile ever, and he had bright blue eyes and my brother mum and I all have brown eyes so he used to have this joke he used to like flutter his eyelashes at me and be like oh you haven't got blue eyes like <laughs> um but he just do this little wink and just this little cheeky grin but he was just so much fun I was always laughing with him and I think I'm his youngest child and I think with that I'd, we did have the daddy daughter relationship but we were just so silly and he was so silly it was just you know, he every time that I went home after I'd moved out, and I moved out in 2011, so over nine years ago now, and every single time that I went home to visit my parents, my dad would have done a chocolate treasure hunt for me in my <sighs> empty room. Oh my God, I love it. Because I'm a massive chocoholic, and so was he. And it, it, all, it all stemmed from when I... When I lived with my parents, I had a hamper of snacks in my bedroom, as you do. And dad used to come in and try and nick the chocolates and stuff. So after I moved out, obviously, the chocolate came with me. Um, and when I went back home for the first time after that, I'd left the empty hamper there and I lifted it up. And there was a sign that he'd written in it that was like, where's all the chockies gone? That he just <laughs> left Aww. in the hamper. But that's where it stemmed from. So he was like, okay. You've got seven chocolates hidden in your bedroom that you need to find. Any that you don't find, you don't get. And he was serious <laughs> because if I couldn't find them, I would not get them. I'd go home. But yeah, he would. He'd send me a picture after on WhatsApp of all the chocolates lined up, like, huh, mine are. But he was Aww. so good at it. Bearing in mind, this is my room where I'd moved everything out of. So it was empty furniture and near enough empty wardrobe. And I could not find them <laughs> anywhere. I don't know how he did it. And he definitely did hide them because then he'd go into my room, keep me outside and then come out with them all like, found them. So yeah, I guess, I guess that's kind of a good example of what his personality was. He was just so silly and he was so funny, but he was just so incredibly kind as well. Like 
one of mum's friends and dad's friends as well actually came to visit the doorstep recently and she put it quite nicely she said uh your dad just had this way of making everybody feel like a million dollars and that was him all over he was just you know he was just that person when you walk into a room and that energy and that smile and that silliness and yeah, he he was great. I love oh, it. I love it. I love it when you ask somebody to talk about their parents and straight away like they smile. Like so, <laughs> so many people are so scared to ask, like, "Oh, yeah. what was your parent like?" And I wish that they knew how happy <laughs> it makes know, people absolutely. to be like, "Oh my god, an excuse to talk about them." But, it's just opening a can yeah. of worms, isn't it? Because like, it's actually yeah, you can talk about him forever. So I'll, I'll carry on telling stories about him all day. He's brilliant. <laughs> I should say before we close up, I just wanted to ask if you could just introduce very quickly the um, spoken word piece that you did on Instagram the other day, just because I've obviously we've spoken, we'd like to share it at the end of this episode. So just people know to hang on and wait to listen to it. Um, just give us a brief instruction to what it is and kind of why you wrote it. Okay. So this is a spoken word piece that I wrote Um, called the 23rd of March because that was the National Day of Reflection this year and it marked one year of lockdown and it also for me marked one year of well it was the year since my dad had gone into hospital so for me it was just putting into word my feelings about that and the past year and where we are now. And it's beautiful. Everybody should listen. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's really, really emotive and really moving. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. 23rd of March. I was in the office that day when I got the call from my mum to say that my dad had been taken to hospital. Try not to worry. We were hopeful. But then later that day, the announcement came. The country is closing until it's safe again. Too little, too late, if you ask me. How many lives lost so needlessly because already by the time that all of this came, so many loved ones were alone and in pain. My dad was alone and it breaks my heart not knowing if he was scared being apart from his wife and his home. I couldn't even message him as he didn't have his phone. Later that night, things took a turn for the worse. It didn't make sense how things had turned from hopeful to terrified in just a few hours. Heart attack and ventilator, I felt so powerless. Locked down at home with nothing to do but sit and pray that word would come through that miraculously and quickly he had improved, been taken out of ICU and that he would be coming home to us soon. Hours turned to days and after a week I could finally go back home and be by my mum's side. I'd had to wait. Restrictions were already enforcing the way, dehumanising instinct in the most testing of times, keeping loved ones apart. It didn't feel right. Sitting at home, watching the clock, the helpless torture never stopped. Nothing to do but send healing thoughts, doing mundane things of any sort to distract our minds from the reality. When all we really wanted to be was by his side. We're his family. Instead, we had to rely on the phone to find out if we were nearer to bringing him home. I'd wake early each day and the first thing I'd do is pray that the nurses would deliver good news. I'd listen intently, painting a picture in my head of my poor darling dad hooked up to a bed. My heart would pound and my hands would shake and I'd try to keep calm so that I could take in all the information about the state that he was in. It was up, it was down, it was unrelenting. All I wanted to do was to hold his hand, but I couldn't. Every time, 
that the house phone rang. We jumped out of our skin, so nervous that this would be the call we didn't want to take. Three weeks it took for that call to be made. The next part of this story is hard to repeat because it's so damn painful to try and speak about the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me. But perhaps even more importantly, how a magnificent man like my dad came to pee, dependent upon a machine to help him breathe until his body gave up silently. All you could hear were the machines cease to beep. I'd been told by the nurses to try not to weep because I couldn't wipe my tears whilst in PPE. Another restriction, meaning that we couldn't even kiss him goodbye. It haunts me. Then came weeks of a surreal reality. At home in isolation, unable to see anyone at all for a comforting embrace, no one able to wipe the tears from my face. When we needed people most, they were forced to stay away. Everything after that was done virtually. It was so inhumane it was hurting me, choosing a guestess of ten to say their goodbyes to a man who'd made hundreds of friends in his life. In the chapel of rest, the coffin was kept closed as I tried to picture his eyes, hair and nose. He wasn't even allowed to wear clothes. It wasn't the send-off that he deserved. Loss during lockdown is just the reverse of everything that you need it to be. It's cruel. It's surreal. It's isolating. So here we are, one year to the day since my darling dad got taken away. The country has survived a year, but I just want to make one thing clear. That if you've been lucky enough to still have every member of your family intact, then please be considerate to those of us who haven't been as fortunate as you. There's no more normal for us to return to because someone is missing. So if you see a yellow heart, know that it means those people are grieving a loved one this past year gone. Our love for the lost will forever live on. Helen, you are a credit to your dad. And genuinely, it feels, it might sound weird saying this, but I feel sad I didn't know him. Does does that make sense to you? Oh, you know what? So many people have said that to me as well. When they see photos and videos of him, they're like, oh, he looked like such a fun guy. Like, <laughs> I wish you'd known him. And oh. I wish you had too, you know, mm. he was great. <laughs> and you know what an impact he clearly had in the life that he did have. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story. And thank you for helping so many people as thank well over you. the last year. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Before we go, um, just let everybody know where they can find you on social media, Helen. Yeah, so my handle is Lockdown Grief. <laughs> nice and easy, does what it says in the tin. <laughs> That's it, on Instagram, yeah. <laughs> just like the Dead Parent Club podcast, which you can also find on Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to Helen's story. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. See you next week. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.